working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is master guitar player Rob McNally. For close to a decade, Rob has been building up his reputation as the go-to guitar player in the Nashville session scene, recording with artists like Buddy Guy, Lady Annabellum, Bob Seger, and Carrie Underwood, just to name a few. Shortly after his move to Nashville from Columbus, Ohio, Rob spent many years on the road with the legendary Delbert McClinton. In recent years, Rob was awarded the ACM Guitar Player of the Year. To find out more about this podcast and other podcasts that we've recorded, Go to WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to this podcast by going to iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment and give us a rating. It always helps us grow. This podcast is sponsored by Sakai Drums. You know the Sakai sound, now get to know the Sakai name. Trusted around the world for almost 100 years, Sakai's devotion to craftsmanship and passion in creating the world's best quality drums is unmatched. Handcrafted in Osaka, Japan, Sakai offers the most versatile drums, from the Trilogy Vintage Series to the modern Almighty Birch Recording Kit, each boasting a distinct sound and feel. Go to SakaiDrums.com to learn why studio legends Eddie Bears and the Smashing Pumpkins, Jimmy Chamberlain and Tedeschi Trucks Band J.J. Johnson and Tyler Greenwell choose Sakai. Elevate your sound with Sakai. SakaiDrums.com so here we go. Here is guitarist Rob McNally. You were worked with Delbert McClinton for uh, about eight years. Okay. It was it was um, you know, uh, it 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 came along at a time where I had been doing a bunch of uh, well, I say a bunch. I mean, I've been doing enough um, country music touring. Yeah, uh, you know, for different acts that um, was Leanne Womack. Leanne on? Womack was one of them. I uh, love her. Yeah, yeah she's great. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, I went directly from her gig to his. Um, her tour was winding down, and mm-hmm. and what had happened was I was filling in at times for Todd Sharp, okay. who was Delbert's guitar player before me. Mm-hmm. Um, a great player, a good friend of mine, and he he started asking me to do Delbert's fly dates it was after 9-11 and he didn't want to fly anymore oh really that was the he reason? went through yeah he kind of went through a little period of uh I don't want to do the fly dates I just not into the new security thing <laughs> and the, the you know and and he he you know he had a side business he has a side business going building amps and doing amp repair so he has something else mm-hmm. that he was you know Anyway, he he uh he started getting me to sub the Delbert gig, mm-hmm. and so I would do that when he wasn't didn't want to fly or whatever. And then um, Leanne's tour was winding down, and I had no idea what I was going to do. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh gosh, this tour's over in a couple weeks. I don't even have anything lined up. Mm-hmm. Starting to get a little bit worried about it, mm-hmm. and like. Four days before the tour ended, Delbert called me and said, "Hey, Todd's not going to do the gig anymore. He doesn't, you know, we, we, we want you to come and play full time. And can you start next week?" And I yeah. said, "Yes." And I literally got off the tour bus with Leanne 
pulled my amp off the bus and two days later put it on Delbert's bus. Yeah. Did you know much about his music? Or? Yeah, I yeah. did. Um, I'd been a fan. Uh, I didn't know all of it. I mean, I certain. I mean, he's been recording right since uh, the '60s, 60s, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, there's a huge catalog. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and what kind of? I mean, like, what kind, what was the gig like? So, I I take it when you got on the bus. And probably on stage, it's the first time you had a chance to meet a lot of these people. Well, uh, yes, um, and and even Delbert. I mean, the first gig that I subbed for uh, Todd mm-hmm. was like a year before that, and uh, it was in Denver, Colorado. And I'd okay. never actually met Delbert. And I remember flying out there, or busing. Uh, we bust out there, and Delbert was flying out there to meet us. And okay. uh, and and so I bust out there, and so I got to meet everybody in the band. I knew some of them. I knew a couple of them, mm-hmm. and uh, we all kind of knew of each other, right? A little bit, you know. I I'm guessing because I mean a lot of those names were familiar. Sure. Um, and I'd seen him Delbert play when he would play in Nashville and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, uh, we got out there and uh. I literally met Delbert 10 minutes before we went on stage. I mean, he, he called me like a week before the gig. Yeah. And he was just totally trusting Todd to, yeah. to, to find the sub for this gig. Yeah. And he called me, and it was like a two-minute conversation. I, he was like, <laughs> so I guess you're playing with me next week. And I'm like, uh, yeah, is, yeah, is that still good? You know. And he's yeah. like, yeah, has anybody sent you any material yet? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and he and so he, oh well, okay. I'll send. I'll I'll make. I'll I'll call Todd and tell him to get you a CD. It's like okay. And he goes, well, all right. And that was the conversation. Yeah. And then when we, he, I don't think he expected much. I think yeah. he thought, let's just get through this. And when he came on the bus and took one look at me. <laughs> I think I, I I don't know I don't I get the feeling he didn't he sized me up pretty quickly and was like oh well, well was, you know hopefully he'll know the chords to the songs or something did you guys ever have that conversation later no I no, never really? no but but see what happened was as we we went out on stage and and I did and Delbert doesn't use a set list so I didn't even really right. know what he was gonna play okay and uh a lot of times with a sub, he'll stick to more of the obvious stuff that he might play. But but uh, but halfway through the show, he may throw a total curveball, and he did. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were things that happened like, oh, uh, you know, after well, backing up, like after after like the third song, there was like a pretty substantial guitar solo in the middle of this one song, and and he just kind of pointed at me and he started walking away from me on stage, like, okay, let's see what that. Well, he, I, I started playing, yeah, and he turned. I remember this. He, him turning back around and really mm-hmm. listening to me play, yeah. And at the end of that solo, he came over. I'll never forget this because it's just one of the ma- things that made me feel really good. And uh, he, he just came over and grabbed my face with both his hands and gave me a big old kiss right on stage. <laughs> and then from there on, the rest of the show was easy. And then he yeah. started throwing curveballs at me, like, yeah. Okay, we're gonna do this song. Did they send you this one? Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay, well, it starts with you. What key do we do this in? Somebody's like, oh, we d- G. But the, the 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 trust had been established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's yeah. like, all right, it starts with you. And I'm like, well, what kind of thing is it? He's like, yeah. Yeah, it's this rock thing. And he starts yeah. grunting like a kind of a groove. And then he just started counting. 
Yeah. And so I just, after four, just started playing something, and then the band kind of kicked in, and then we all played the song. You know, it was just, everybody's telling, holding up their hands for the different chords. Right, 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 right. I mean, and, and that's how it was for the next eight years. There was never a set list. We played the songs differently uh, all awesome. the time. And right, right. It was really a great experience. And does that, like, now your expectation, every gig, every t- situation that you work with, you're expecting this validation by a big kiss and and grab the face so you yeah. know that you've done the, you know, yeah. I don't know how, honey, how was the session today? I don't know. I don't, I, they said it sounded good, yeah, but yeah, I didn't, yeah, yeah. nobody kissed me. I didn't yeah, get Yeah, right, the, right. Yeah. Well, uh, no, Matt, everybody kisses me. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my notes just blew away because yeah. we are outside. It is beautiful outside. Yeah, it's nice and, out um, here. So we're out on the porch. If you hear the bugs and everything, um, that's what you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah, those aren't percussion sounds or <laughs> anything like that. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I want to jump around a bit. Okay. Um, I want to talk about kind of what... So that was... When did you leave Delbert? Well, uh, it, I or didn't did actually that? leave. Uh, it, it, uh, in 2000, somewhere in 2010, um, we were playing less and less. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things about Dilbert is that he, he, uh, he used to work so much that he would just keep the band on salary. Yeah. So, um, but as he started playing less and less... It allowed me to be in town more, and right. somewhere, somewhere in the mid, you know, like probably 2006 or so, somewhere in there, I started um, getting hired to do session work here in Nashville yeah. on the days off, and um, and that just kind of kept growing and growing and growing, and it was starting to get to the point where I was. Two things happened: he was playing less and less. It didn't make sense to keep a band on salary anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which I totally understood, you know, and then, and then my, my session work was starting to really, uh, kick into gear to the point where now I was having to sub the gig, uh, a fair amount. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he, he, you know, when, when he, it was coming to a point of like, I was gonna, I was trying to find the right time to sit down and talk to him and say hey am i burdening you too much yeah when yeah. i have to sub the gig out mm-hmm. as often as i'm st- as i am yeah um and then he kind of just said well I-, I have to take everybody off salary you know i hate to- i hate that you know it he, seemed like he, he really- understood where you were coming from I, well i never got to say that because once mm-hmm. once he okay. once he took that out of the equation then it was like I don't remember how, how what happened from that point. It seemed like there was a little bit of a period of where everybody played whatever gigs they could for mm-hmm. Delbert and mm-hmm. tried to hang in there. Uh, but but obviously everybody was looking for things that were more uh, to keep them busier. Right. Or, oh, or, it, it, are, do you still play with them at all? I mean, is I, there I don't. I, okay. I did play with him a few months ago at a benefit. Okay. It was a lot of fun. To, see him again and do that um but i i'm more i more run into him around town and okay you know okay and we might sit and talk for a few minutes or whatever you know typically monday through friday i'm doing sessions in different Mm -hmm. studios around town with all kinds of different people and that can range from demos to records Mm -hmm. um uh it you know 
kind of keep myself open Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning till 9 at night. You know, that's how sessions work around here. Right. For those that don't know. Um, and you talk about records or, or a master session. Yeah, yeah. So, right. like, is there something significant about a demo compared to a master session that could be explained? Okay, well, like a demo session in Nashville. All the session blocks are three hours. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the session schedule is like uh, 10 to 1, uh, and they call that a 10 o'clock session. Yeah. You know, they just say 10 to or 6. And what that means is like on any given day, you've got uh, 10 to 1 with an hour break, and then 2 to 5 with mm-hmm. another hour break, and then 6 to 9. Mm-hmm. Now, that may not be for all the same people. You may be going to three different right. studios that day right. and working on three different, totally different things sure. or whatever, mm-hmm. any combination of mm-hmm. that. And and uh, then there, there are demo sessions, mm-hmm. which are basically... Uh, songwriters here in town are demoing the songs that they want to pitch to right, producers right, right? and, and uh, they're usually published uh, writer pu- writers with publishing deals who have a budget to do these sessions sure and then um, so that's in that context or in, in a demo session the goal is to do five songs in three hours yeah which so it moves very fast they break it down to roughly 35 minutes a song and that is that is getting the track and the overdubs like and for a guitar player mm-hmm. that's usually two or three guitar parts plus a guitar solo mm-hmm. so that has to happen in 35 minutes from hearing song the hearing the song for the first time right with a chart in hand mm-hmm. to completing the song right you know um and I know for drums, you get the basic track down. Yes. And then you're, and then while they're doing multiple passes, you're doing you're grabbing the tambourine shaker, whatever. Yes. But I know on. We're doing plate, programming now. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's on one hand, it could be less than responsibility than the guitar, and on the other hand, it could be more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. In the current state of the sounds in in, in modern country music. Uh, you know, with programming coming into the picture, drummers are, are there's a lot more weight on the drummer now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a demo session, right? Right. Uh, or a record date, or whatever. And that's the pace. I mean, in a nutshell. That's uh, yeah. Demo, as far as a demo they're session, they're trying to yeah. You're getting as much as you can in a very quick amount yeah. of time. So uh, I know we were going to try and get together tomorrow. You had a little bit of free time. Yes. But then they yes. they said, man, we've got your book for a master session. Yeah. Yeah. So let's that, talk about that. Like what. How does the pace different? Now I know the the pay is different. You know. Yeah, the pay the pay is st- ironically the workload is heavier in the demo session, right? And you get paid half the money, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and uh, and in a master session, you can range. I mean, those are even getting a little bit crowded now because budgets are getting smaller. Like mm, sometimes, sometimes in that three hours on a master session, you're doing you you can be doing as many as one song for the session if the budget allows or or three you know um or two you know two Mm -hmm. maybe get started on a third one and take lunch break and come back in the afternoon and pick up you know or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm uh uh, you know it i i guess i guess the reason for the money difference is because with a master session they actually can recoup the cost of it so they can pay a little bit more and they want you to take more time on the song Right, right. You know, there's more detail involved, you know. Right. right. You know. Are there ever um, 
are there ever demos where you're like, man, I don't think we really got the bridge right, but they're like, it's fine. It'll, it'll work. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I know that the, the pace is, you're being hired because of your abilities to perform five songs in three hours. Yeah, yeah. So the level of talent is high. Yeah. It's there. You know, you're there for a reason. You got called for a reason. Yeah. But at the same time, they have to, this has to be done within this three-hour period. Yes, yes. Where I imagine a master session. Uh, no, we missed that one note. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. Gonna, uh, Obviously, if it's not something that could be edited quickly or whatever, yeah, yeah. So there's maybe more attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, there a, is. Yeah. Well, in the demo, though, now you know uh, there will never be wrong notes on a demo session. That mm-hmm. wouldn't fly. Yeah. But but um, but maybe they might like maybe you, you uh, certain things like, hey, I played the first chorus. I play. I figured out what I wanted to do by the second chorus and the choruses, yeah. uh, and they'll and they'll just be like, "Well, we'll just fly your part from the second chorus up to the first chorus if it's a demo." Yeah, because that saves time. But on, so so take that example. So, but on a master session, how would that play out? How, on a master session, they would you, you'd play it every time. You'd, gotcha. you'd just go back and punch in and and and, yeah. and perform okay. the song, or or you know, or take a whole other pass. I mean, I like to do that ra- right, rather than right. punch in if if we got the time because because i feel like i well, okay another thing that i do a lot is tracks for people from home like mm-hmm. they'll send me files and all and i've gotten into this thing where i try not i try to it's just an exercise for myself really because they don't there's no way they can tell that i'm doing this really on the other end but i try to play the song completely through like mm-hmm. there's no like I don't even have punching in as an option just mm. because mm. I I want to keep my performance skills mm-hmm. very high, mm-hmm. you know. So when I do tracks at home, so even on a master, if they, if I I will play the path. I I I my philosophy is you shouldn't move on until the until the drums and bass the drummer right. and the right. the rhythm section has said that they've got their pass. Yeah, yeah. I kind of think that you, everyone in the band should be playing until the drummer says, I've got the pass. Mm-hmm. It's okay to play to his pass if you want to go back and do some stuff. But I but I, I do, I, I, I don't know, it's probably just in my head. I feel it's important to play, whatever, play with whatever the drummer played on that pass mm-hmm. and then consider that the master pass. Even if you nailed it yeah. three times before the drummer did, Right. You know what I mean? Or yeah. the producer kept making changes on the rhythm section in. Yeah. How's that going to sound when they make a change to the what the bass player and the drummer did and you've already moved you're already stacking parts on top of something from three passes ago that they weren't right. doing that part. Sure. I kind of think it could those, be significant. Those are the I I yeah. think I think a really a really uh uh a producer with a really good vision feels that way too you know i notice you know i, I yeah. think i think you know it's easy to edit things in the box i know that yeah. and, and and a lot of times you cannot tell mm-hmm. but um do you think that comes from uh your experience live spending it does. years on the road it totally does and mm-hmm. and i and i've worked on a lot of records where we were going to tape yeah. And you had to, everybody has to get to pass at the same time. I did a jewel record a couple of weeks or years ago where, where, where we all set up in the room and, and all, all the instruments were bleeding into each other, right, right. you know, 
I had a small amp and it was getting a little bit into the and and if if one person didn't get the pat if one person made a mistake we had to do it over again yeah and I and I never want to get to the point where I can't do th- where that's uncomfortable for me yeah yeah so that's my philosophy yeah yeah you know a lot of people feel differently I don't know is there is there something like outside your playing like say that type of work ethic that producers and people that hire you are they are, are you noticing them taking note of that type of uh, philosophy the work ethic that approach that care um, I think that th- I think there's th- two different styles we're at a point in music making history where the technology allows it to be two different schools of thought now yes yeah. a lot of the younger producers uh, are coming up from building tracks all on their own. Yep. And they're and they're really good at playing a lot of different instruments and they or you know serviceable a lot, you know, mm-hmm. maybe or mm-hmm. so they can they can sit in the room in in the course of, you know, 5 hours and totally play everything on this track and get it right by flying things, editing things and chopping it mm-hmm. and doing whatever. And right. that has a sound. Yeah. And we've got that sound on the radio now. Right. And and a lot of people hear that it's kind of like auto-tune on vocals there's people that sing like they're auto-tuned now because they've grown up listening right. to singers that have right. been auto-tuned yeah so so it, i i find when i work with younger producers a lot of times the game there is that they want options so they want you to just play a bunch of passes down of whatever parts you can mm-hmm. think of even if they're clashing at, yeah. the, at the time or they'll want they'll want six or seven parts and then they'll go in later and and just mm-hmm. start editing things together and chopping it up and making it into something that, that right. maybe no one would have played naturally but it sounds cool and it's yeah. pop music so it's it becomes a hook right and it wasn't played that way maybe or whatever so that but the older producers yeah the guys have been around a long time they want you to be able to perform the pass. They're right. more. They're more about that. It yeah. seems like. So. Th- so it's just. It depends on who I'm working for. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Is there something about a drummer in the studio that you like to hear? Ah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I. I think that's still a mystery to me. Hmm. Um. And. And it's weird because I'm so I, my playing is so drummer dependent. Interesting. I cannot play if I'm not jiving. I can't perform uh-huh. what I want to do if the if it's not coming from the rhythm section first. Mm-hmm. I think every record really sounds like the drummer that's on it. Mm. I think the drummer is the most important thing on every record. I. I, I Sure. And and you can tell. I mean, okay. Like for example, I've worked with Lady Annabellum mm-hmm. through uh, Chad Cromwell was the drummer. Mm-hmm. Then when they switched producers to Nathan Chapman, mm-hmm. it was Shannon Forrest. Mm-hmm. And and I I had this conversation with Nathan. Yeah. When we started on that record, he said, you know. He echoed these sentiments. He put it into the words of the sound of the record is always what what drummer you use. Mm. The, the the beginning Lady A records sound like Chad Cromwell's playing. Mm-hmm. 
this record sounds like Shannon Forrest. Forrest. But, mm-hmm. you know, but all of them had successful singles off of them. Yeah. But, um, but it, it's really true. I mean, you need, I, I don't know what it is. There's, there's just, I, I, I can get along with a, like I love the Black Keys drummer, you know, and and, and admittedly he he doesn't he doesn't consider himself a drummer drummer. Ringo mm-hmm. Starr may not be a drummer's drummer to a lot of people. I I mm-hmm. beg to differ. I grew up listening to sure. him, and yeah. no, you know, but but yeah. but by today's standards, like somebody like that coming in and playing w- without a click and playing, you know, uh, into uh, on a pop record now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. The drum, I just have to clue into whatever the drummer brings to the mm-hmm. table that's special. Well, let me ask you this. How do you set your mix up? And, and do you have it like a consistent thing? or? I, I you know, I, 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 I want to hear everything. You know, I, I just... I, I mean, just, some people, they want to hear more of something else so no i, I, I like telling. i try i try to i try to i i'm not a great mixer but i but i i try to get it to and it took me a long time to learn how to do it actually it's mm-hmm. like the hardest thing about being a session player for me okay. is getting your headphone mix right right and and i try and make it sound like a record as much as possible if somebody yeah. i want to hear the vocalist Mm-hmm. Even if they're having, you know, if they're just, just they don't even know the song and they're like doing a scratch and they don't even know, I need to know where they're singing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, you know, they're fumbling through it right now or whatever, you right. know. Um, and, and uh, you know, like like when I do sessions at the house, it's the yeah. same way. People will say, what do you want me to send you? A, a mix with the vocal down? And I'm always baffled by that. I'm like, no, we're trying to make the vocal work. That's what that that's what everybody out in the world wants to hear. That's the first thing that they hear, especially especially <laughs> yeah. for the the larger audience, which yeah. are non musicians. There's exactly. a tier in which people digest music and yeah. it's usually from the top down, oh, the yeah. melody, the vocal part. Yes. Yeah. The lyrics or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always wanna hear if it's a part that's important enough to be in there, I wanna hear it because I need to compliment it. Yeah. I don't want to play play to something that I don't know. Well, you're there. also as as somebody that's that's playing rhythm, but you're also creating a melodic and harmonic structure. Exactly, different than a drummer. Exactly, uh, is that you? I can imagine that the vocal part has got to be super important. I couldn't imagine that not being important enough to to hear. Yeah, um, I think maybe the intent of the question was to try and find out if there's something from your mix that would be telling as far as how you connect with the rhythm section. Oh, okay. Um, I know that for some, even for some drummers, they will find a level of the click in relation to the hi-hat. Or I've done sessions where sometimes I'll connect with uh, a certain musician in the group before all laying down at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, that, for example, acoustic guitar mm-hmm. i want to make sure that i'm totally locked in with him so that yeah. frequency between the hi-hat and him yeah we're, yeah we're that's, there yeah. it's all it's not always necessarily the bass player you know that right. it's got to be something that's creating more rhythmic yeah. counterpoint that is going to create a larger uh, groove but also um the level of of certain things that's going to get the performance but I know what you're saying because even if I'm running an in-ear mix for a live thing, I do want I want everything, and I yeah. don't know how many engineers that say, "Well, what do you want?" And I'm like, "I want everything." You, 
like everything you mean yeah and yeah the, and the rhythm i know and the backing vocals yes i want everything yeah i need to know what's going on yeah yeah well and you know okay so let me let me answer the question more to your point uh uh I, I'm always in I, I feel like I'm 99% of the time always in the room with the drums okay? okay so I can feel the drums now I, I've gotten I've, I've I, I use these really heavily isolated phones so mm-hmm. that I can you bring your own phones? yeah I do that's I, I okay. have these uh, ultra phones uh, mm-hmm. and, and and they really do a great job of blocking out the volume so I can listen at low volume because I actually think I hear more when I'm turn, mm, when I can turn down the headphones right. And um, but I can feel the drums happening, and subconsciously, even though I'm reading a chart out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching the drummer's hi hat mm-hmm. and mm. and uh, and and or the kick or the kick uh, uh, head and, moving a little oh, bit yeah, when sure. they hit it, and, and and I find that I get my best rhythm passes with the wow. drummer just because I'm feeling that energy mm-hmm. and hearing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the headphones while he's doing it I can okay. see the body language there's a, there's a subliminal thing that goes mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. when I'm overdubbing mm-hmm. to somebody and not right. watching them play right right so I mean it probably is all it's probably the di- I like to hear the drums as much as I'm feeling them so I will actually yeah. turn the two mix up more than everything else right and, and all the individual channels I barely crack them open yeah first guy that I played with on a session that I really noticed that I really uh, played well with was Greg Morrow mm-hmm. and, and he, he you know he just happened to be the probably one of the guys I played with very early on luckily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. his ability to get right to the essence of a song mm. is uncanny and, and I love when I can work with him What do you mean on, by that? Like the part or the feel? The, the part, the feel, the mm-hmm. everything. I mean, first of all, that guy is... I th- I'm convinced he owns every record that's ever come out because his vinyl <laughs> collection is yeah. insane and, and, he's, and he's way into it, uh, listening to music, you know. But, but he's... But, he, you know, there's just a... There's just a confidence. This whole thing has to rest on the drummer's shoulders, right? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, I probably, I've been told, I, I never break this down, but I know it's probably true. I've been told that I kind of, I, I, I can lean towards the back part, back side of the beat. Mm-hmm. And uh, some drummers uh, really know how to make that happen without the tempo slowing down mm. you know what i mean there's yeah. there's like a thing that that happens like they know how to place things like uh with a band that's doing that or a guitar player that's doing that where it feels it might be on the back side but energy. it's not draggy right exactly exactly yeah. uh-huh. um and then and then you know there it's I don't know. I I really can't pinpoint it, and I don't try. And I almost go out of my way to try not to be able to pinpoint these things because it's kind of like I don't. Because I can be playing later on today with a drummer who really pushes things forward and has that kind of mm-hmm. uh, almost a little bit of a punk rock energy going on. Right. And I can enjoy that just as much and tune into that. Sure. You know? Sure. Right. It has its place. Uh, and, yeah, 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 and and so it's kind of like um, and that probably makes you more 
valuable to producers knowing that, that you yeah. can work with I mean, with I this. think so. Yeah. You know, but but I mean, I I think I think I like I love it when drummers play uh, with hooks in mind, uh, like Ringo did, or mm. or you know like composing a part I love that you know Mm -hmm. I mean obviously if you're playing something that's like very groove based or something that's like Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. then then yeah be be funky and cool but but uh, but I love it when a drummer actually plays fills that are hooks that you sing later or that you or you know or they you know because that's that's what uh, that's what most of the music that we're recording in Nashville is music you're trying everybody on the floor should be trying to play something that somebody can sing Mm. i think and the drummer is no exception yeah to me it's kind of like you know you know i always i always i always said that kenny arnoff was the king of that Mm -hmm. where i mean ringo for sure which is a perfect perfect example but in both those situations if you're playing a song that ringo or kenny arnoff played there are certain fills there's certain sections that you just have to cop those, yes. those things because it makes the song if you don't play that breakdown in the middle of Jack and Diane yeah, if you're covering right. that song then then people are like wait a minute what, what happened what yeah, song are they playing yeah, now yeah, yeah or so totally and, and Ringo yeah. is notorious for that and for uh, you know sometimes the grief that um, certain clueless people have about um, his abilities yeah uh, when they come to realize it you realize how important that compositional yeah. contribution is yeah yeah no that's that's awesome that's good to know yeah and there are definitely times that I've heard that from Greg and Chad as yeah. well mm-hmm. where uh, you know, a good example is I remember uh, listening to a song that Chad demoed that I later recorded for a oh, record. Oh, okay, yeah. And I totally picked up on a fill that he played that just worked so well. Yeah. That he played it twice. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. Why yeah. not? Because yeah. it worked so well. And it's yeah. like, I have to use that. Yeah, it becomes the <laughs> it becomes like a signature thing. Yeah. That's really what we're all trying to do is, it, it, you know, in the context of a three-minute song that's going to be on the radio, if you really pay attention to those songs and that kind of playing... Uh, it, it there it's it's all about being simple and out of the way until there's a until there's that right moment where nobody nothing else is happening for a couple bars mm-hmm. and somebody has to step in and and make a hook happen there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i love guitar solos that are hook solos yeah, in that yeah. context mm-hmm. now you know if if you're going to play with Tadeshi trucks or something mm-hmm. then play your ass off you know right, right, uh, and right. and be great at it but yeah. but even then you know it still sounds like somebody's singing yeah, but it, i think know, that that's really um, and this is really useful and it's really helpful i think to to recognize that um just because a drummer is not playing uh our m- melodic harmonic you know uh stereotypical instrument yeah like, th- that it it's still just as important and can add so much to think in those terms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is there something uh, maybe uh, um, 
and please feel free to use names. No, I'm kidding. Uh, has, <laughs> has, has there been, um, can you cite an example of something that just kind of takes the air out of the, um, the session, the song that maybe that, that emanates from the drummer that you're like, Oh, yeah. I've heard this before. And it's like, can you pinpoint something there? Maybe give us an example. Maybe something, yeah. and maybe something that I don't know if you can, but maybe something that you know is a typical issue that maybe drummers struggle with. Uh, you know, I, I that would be helpful to yes, know that you're yes. afraid to tell us. Yeah, no, I, I'm not afraid to say. I, th- I think this goes for any chair, but but uh, in uh, I first think chair drummer, I, first chair drummer. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but any uh, it. You can usually trace it back to some sort of ego mm. uh, issue, um, mm-hmm. or, or uh, you know, when a drummer is not tapping into what the producer's looking for, or or any instrument. But we're you we're talking about drummers, so I'll just say drummers. Sure. So, but um, usually, it, usually it comes down to like um, the producer's looking for. Let's just say a producer. Uh, this track he's referencing say like man you know it just needs to feel a little bit jammy like the Almond Brothers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and maybe he's got a drummer on the session that really hasn't listened to anything of the Almond Brothers mm-hmm. too much enough to really know how you play like that or what that really means mm-hmm. or something you know yeah. and but they don't want to admit it Mm-hmm. Because and there is a thing that happens when you get hired for a session, you've got to walk in the door and act like you know what's going on mm-hmm. sometimes when you don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of players that are really, really good at going, okay, I've heard enough of that. I don't know it like like I know some other styles of playing, but, but I've heard enough to know that I can tap into that. And mm-hmm. then there's players that get sideswiped by a reference mm-hmm. and aren't willing to say hey can we take you know if it's a record date you have time to do this mm-hmm. hey can we just take five minutes and listen to like you know and uh, you know a couple Almond Brothers things that you're thinking of so that I can kind of get a mental picture of so what I can do have been in do. situations where people have said that you know and, it, yeah. and it's like yeah cool that's great yeah because like, I, I get that human nature would be like uh oh yeah, uh, sure. I I've got to pretend. Yeah, I've yeah, got to pretend that's... like I'm the I'm the guy for the gig. Sure. So then they go out on the floor, and it's just not coming together because maybe everybody else on the floor knows what we're going for, except that one person, and they aren't willing to be vulnerable enough to say, "Yeah, I can probably do that." Can we? Can we? Can you tell? I mean, are you talking about? Uh, Statesboro Blues Almond Brothers are you talking about Melissa I mean mm-hmm. you know those are two different you know what educate me on give yeah, me more yeah. information and a lot of times they'll just you know walk out there and just try and fake it and mm-hmm. and and when and when it's not working it's really not working mm-hmm. so always be you know but there is a line you can cross with asking too many questions and bogging down the session too that that is almost yeah. worse but right. but but you know it's 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 just like man if you don't if you if you need the producer to give you a little bit more information before you try another take and yeah. burn everybody's energy on the floor yeah yeah you know be be st- stand up and say something there's a conf- you can do that in a way that 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 gets you closer to what they're after right right we're all here we're here for a common goal and i, I don't want to slow anybody but anybody down but i'm not going to hold this inside yeah yeah i have the ability to do it i just need a little bit more information to go yeah on yeah because 
everybody's history is different. Everybody's and, and, and there's so much music out there. You can't possibly have heard everything. Right, right. And, you know, it's like, unless you're Greg Morrow. But, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, but you know, like, like uh, we run into that a lot with, uh, you know, somebody that's 20 years old and has their first record deal and is making their first record, yeah. listens to all these indie bands that maybe we've been... Not yeah. privy to or something. Sure. So so it's nice to like hear them say say like a name of a band. Uh, you know, uh, Cage the Elephant. Yeah, or whatever. Pilots. And, and, you're and like, you know, and you're like, I I always file those names away, and yes. I go find them after the right, session right. And, mm-hmm. and listen to them. Or or on lunch break, I'll go hit up Spotify and mm-hmm. check out check out some of these things. Like, go man, okay, there's some cool stuff happening here that I right. wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. I'll tap into that side of my brain. And I think I think you know everybody's so good. If they're getting hired for a record in this town, they're a really accomplished player. Yeah, it's like the NFL. You know, you may be sitting on the bench a lot of times, but that guy sitting on the bench is great. Is is a badass. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, right, right. You know, uh, it, so so it's it's not never an ability thing. It's usually a mindset thing that bogs the session down. I interesting. find interesting, like a, an approach or yeah. a, or a. Uh... Well, and maybe so. So somebody could be walking into a session and they have the ability, but maybe the experience doesn't allow them to have the same headspace. That's as, true too. Yeah, you know. So because everybody had to start somewhere. I hear stories about Jeff Picaro, like. Mm-hmm. Throwing up in the corner of the studio in one of his first sessions because he was so nervous, and you're like, "It's Jeff fucking Picaro, uh, right? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, you know." But because he had to start someplace, you do, you do, and all your you know? laundry is aired out in front of everybody on a session. I mean, yeah. when you're the young guy or the yeah. new guy, I went through it. Every player has gone through right. it. I would tell any young drummer or young player. When you get on a session, mm-hmm. there's going to be guys in the room you've never heard of. Yeah. Or that you didn't know before you did that session, especially when you're starting out. Mm-hmm. The thing that's really important to remember is everybody in this room is probably really good and way more experienced than you are. Yeah. And there's a thing that's happening I see in a lot of young players where they try to run, walk in the door like they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And with, with not, not enough uh, humility to just say, or the you know, ability to be humble and go, hey, what, you know, saddle up to the bass player that's played on a million sessions at this point and say, man, okay. What, what should I do? And they're probably going to tell you just play because I got to hear what you would do first before we start changing it. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, be be willing to put it out there, yeah. but would be willing to make changes, mm-hmm. even if you don't get why you're making those changes. When somebody on the other side of the glass is mm-hmm. talking to you and asking you to make changes, make those changes. Right, right. You've got to deliver the product they want. It might not be the way you've always wanted to play that day. Right. But but that that and that's the ego checking at the door thing. Yeah. Man, I've come up with parts that I thought would be killer parts for a song, and 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 I've even had producers ask me to change them and come up to me later and say, "I want you to know that part was awesome, mm-hmm. but it's but but I need something different out of this song." Yeah. 
and 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 then you go oh but don't expect that to happen yeah yeah you know no a lot of times they're just going to tell you to change it and if they sense attitude off of you guess what you're not coming back right right and if and if and you know man everybody and it takes a while to get acclimated to the fact that some guy that's over here like uh that that's that's like maybe in his 60s and still playing on records mm-hmm. knows a whole shit ton more than you for, <laughs> he's forgotten more than you know it, you know and 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 you kind of have to be willing to accept that fact yeah. look you are new you look we believe in you you wouldn't mm-hmm. be here if we if we didn't yeah yeah but man this is this is college for you right now oh I and know. you're getting all oh, this yeah. out of the way on demo sessions where you know if you're yeah. not the greatest player in the world already if you're not jeff Picaro on a toto record right right it's okay yeah but this is that's that's the young players be patient yeah. and check your ego at the door and listen to everybody mm. without losing yourself in the process that's the balance mm. you know because mm-hmm. people are hiring you because they heard something special right that's true know what that is right that's true and then know how to do the other stuff yeah 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 you're here to learn the other stuff yeah yeah well especially when you're talking about coming up with a signature part or uh playing the role of uh you know a compositionally uh, a compositional role you are being hired for what you can bring to the table. Obviously, yes. your feel, your pocket, and all these different yes. things like that. But um, I think as a drummer, uh, if you can add to the composition of the yes. song, you know, then that can be your voice yeah. in many ways. How about experienced players? Experienced players. You know, I would say experienced players, uh, they usually, there's less advice you can give an experienced player. Well, okay, well, let me use me as an example. Like, I don't spend a lot of time in the studio. Okay. Um, so my experience is less than someone close to my age that spends a lot of time in the studio, mm-hmm. studio like Nick Buda. Okay, gotcha. Um, his experience is much greater than mine. Um, but what would your advice be to me? I mean, I've been playing drums for over 30 years yeah you know, but my experience in the studio so if we're say we're focusing on that huh wow uh wow that's that's an i don't know because okay here's what it is mm-hmm. here's what it is i and i say this for myself too um you can get so good at what you're doing that you forget uh, uh to stay open to new ideas or a new approach yeah you know what I'm saying? I totally do. There's, there's, whole, there's, there's like, you know, uh, certain things that you know will work. Yeah. A lot of players will do that. Yeah. And a lot of times that is the right thing. But, mm-hmm. but sometimes, a lot of times you're working for a producer that's, that's challenged you to do something completely opposite of what always works. Right. To, to break new ground musically some way or, mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. And I will see a more experienced player struggle with that more than a, a younger player I at believe times it. I because believe it. because they haven't done that before or they don't understand. No, we're going to the chorus. Why are we getting smaller? Yes. That doesn't make sense. Right? No, I. Well, yeah, like, you know I what know, I mean. Yeah, like totally. All those things that yep. that you totally think the arc of a song is supposed to do, mm-hmm. but then there's this. You know. So so I think. I think it's important for exper- more experienced players to 
always be looking for something new to do as well. Yeah. You can, man, there's so many great examples of guys that already know that and do that. So mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like I'm generalizing, but, but, uh, uh, it's, it, but I do, if there's anything with a more experienced player, they might think, ah, yeah, this is perfect. We're getting bigger. We're getting bigger. And the producer's going, no, no, I want to do this the right. opposite way. Right. And they're like, scratching and going, I don't know why. why yeah. What? A buddy yeah. of mine hired me for a session. And he said, now listen, the, 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 uh, the songwriter and, and who's going to be producing this as well, this is for his record. Um, he's going to ask you to do crazy things. And yeah. just be prepared. And I'm like, yeah, no, I totally get it. I yeah. totally get it. Well, I got there, and he's like, I don't want any, don't play any kick drum on this, on this, like, don't play at all. And I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, right. He had a complete vision of this, and, but I was like, okay, but I, my buddy prepared me for it. Yeah. And he was asking for the craziest yeah, right. things. Yeah. But I think, uh, I, my opportunity was presented to me because the drummer before was like, who was an experienced drummer, said, no, that, that makes no sense. I'm, I can't do that. Like, that, why wouldn't I do this? Right, you right. Know, and, and debated him on it. And, and then, so we're like, okay, let's get, who, who else do you have? Oh, yeah. great, well, let's, yeah. and then, okay, before you get here, I'm just giving you a heads up. And he did, I'm glad he did. Yeah. And then he continued to hire me, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I walked away, how was the session, honey? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was fine. Yeah. But I don't know what I did. I right, no, no I, I know. You know, and, and I, that's one of the best things about this job for me, is when somebody asks me to do something really crazy that's counterintuitive to mm. anything that mm-hmm. you would normally do, and that's going on around you at the moment, even. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's been, I've got to say, I've been pleasantly surprised yeah. at how many times I've chased this thing with somebody, and then gone in the control room and listened to it, where yeah. they are, Yeah. and I'm like, Wow, that totally works, and I would have never thought to do that. And then, and then yep. it's an experience you've got that you take to the next session with yep. you. That you're like, hey, there's another, there's another. I just got deeper as a musician because mm-hmm. of that guy, mm-hmm. or you know. And and I mean, like one of my favorite things to do with drummers is, uh, I love I love podcasts. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, like when when you say to a drummer, like, okay, don't play. Don't play any cymbals through this pass. We're gonna overdub the cymbals, and we're yeah, gonna yeah. and don't do any fills. We're gonna overdub all the fills, mm-hmm. or you know, a lot of people have been doing that for decades, mm-hmm. right? right? That's right, not right, a new right. thing. Midnight but, Oil, Peter Gabriel. Yeah, 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 and it's and it's so so it's like it's nothing groundbreaking, but uh, it's hard. But but when there's when there's a young drummer on the session mm-hmm. who's played more, like who's been on tour more. And That's needs the, the energy yeah, of yeah, those right. symbols, mm-hmm. and needs the energy of the fills, the mm-hmm. you know, and all that. You watch the challenge come into yeah, play. Yeah. So it's like, no, this is a record. How you make this sound like a record is yeah. like if the if if the groove needs to keep going while the fills are going. Well, you can't do that unless mm-hmm. you overdub mm-hmm. the fills, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe, and and it's fun to watch a young guy or somebody that's not accustomed to doing something like that watch them get that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's like oh wow i've always yeah. wondered how you know so and so did that you and, know? and i think and i think that that goes uh, that adds to maybe advice to experienced players maybe experienced players like myself who spent a lot of time on stage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has a certain approach to the instrument 
that contributes to the energy and it works. Yes. But when you're in the studio, there's a volume, there's a um, a way you're going to hit this. Yes. Everyone hear this airplane? Yeah. That's my plane yeah. for tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> it's just getting here. So, yeah, you you can completely, uh, you have to th- think differently when you're in the studio, the space in which you're working yeah. and, uh, and how much sonic space you want to take up with crashes and fills and different things like that. Yeah. I want people to know, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Okay, yeah. Um, kind of your musical experience, mm-hmm. your family, your father's influence, okay. some of okay. those things, so they kind of get a better idea of, who is this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> They're probably listening at this point and going, why do we care about this guy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Folks, before he says all this, I don't want you to think of this as a pyramid scheme. Uh, at the end of this, uh, there's going to be an amazing opportunity at the end of this podcast there that is. I'm going to get you involved in. You know, but this face cream that you, <laughs> the samples that you brought yeah. are glorious. Can we keep the samples? Exactly. You, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Good night. <laughs> get the hell out of here. Yeah. Uh, you're from Columbus. Your dad yeah. was in a band called McGuffey Lane. Yes. And uh, I know you were exposed to musicians and music yeah, in, yeah. A, in a way that a lot of people aren't, yeah. uh, don't have the opportunity to. Yeah, you know, yeah. To especially do. in a place like Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe kids growing up in Nashville, Tennessee... Yeah, I know. You know what I, I mean. Know, I know. But but it was very unique. Uh, My kids got to have dinner with you tonight. Hey, how about that? <laughs> now they can listen to this podcast and figure out why that was important. <laughs> no, but anyway, um, I, I, yeah, no, I, I, it was it was the seventies and eighties. And there were a lot of, we kind of, uh, my dad was a musician and there was a lot of like kind of hippie, hippie atmosphere in our, in and around our house and, and musicians coming in and, and I didn't know who all of them were. I was too young at the time, mm-hmm. but there was always playing going on and mm-hmm. a lot of partying and <laughs> a lot of really crazy things going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but you know, uh, yeah, the the whole I never uh, I grew up in the musician lifestyle, you know, of the day. There 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 was just a lot of records being spun on the turntable, mm-hmm. and a lot of the focus around the house was a lot of music. You know, mm-hmm. whether my dad was writing songs, you know, or or you know playing guitar, trying to figure out, you know, he was a songwriter. Really, he wasn't okay. like a you know. Uh, singer you know so he he was always writing songs so we were always listening to things like hank williams or elvis wow. or or you know the beatles and the rolling stones and, and all this almond brothers stephen stills just just a, a huge variety of not what was on the radio at the in, in the 80s you mm-hmm, know at, mm-hmm. at the time you know like i uh, so, I, like, when I go to school, I would hear all my friends talking about the police and Rush and all these mm-hmm. these type of bands. And then at home, it was all about song-oriented yeah. people, you know. Sure. Um, 
I don't know. What's the question again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> kind of went in. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, just kind of the early influence that you were afforded. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, you know, for lack it was of a totally the songwriting thing. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to learn how to play guitar so that I could write songs. Mm. I never, I didn't know what a guitar hero was. I didn't know why you didn't. Why, why you picked up a guitar to play a guitar solo, that didn't interest me at all. I didn't think about that. Okay. I thought about, I thought about well, I want to know what chords go together so I can write a song as good as, you know, the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Or I want, or I want, you know, Willie Nelson or mm-hmm. somebody and like that. why the guitar? Uh, because, well, okay, this is going to make people mad, but I, <laughs> drums was my first instrument. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I was too sensitive to the sound of a snare drum in my face like that, you know. I, I, Guitar I love, was my first instrument. Yeah. Okay. Well, people, you know, my, yeah. I, I, I think I, I feel like I've always been kind of a rhythmically. Uh, I fall on the side of rhythm. Yeah. First, mm-hmm. and then melody comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so to me, uh, it's all about the groove first. If that's yeah. not happening, I can't do anything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, so. Uh, I don't know. I, I I just wanted to play chords. I I wanted to figure sure. out how to write songs. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's what my dad was doing all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that's, and there were guitar players in and out that would play cool little you know licks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I and I I asked them to show me what okay. they just played, or mm-hmm. or I'd watch their fingers really close and go into my room and and not come out until I figured it out. You know, oh, wow. and somehow the guitar uh, when I switched to guitar. There was something about the guitar I could just find what I wanted to find. Yeah, yeah. You know, it made sense to me. A lot of people mm. pick up a guitar and you can tell it's just not yeah. natural to them. Right. But, right. but to me, it always, I never really took lessons. I never did any of that. I was going to ask you about that. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, it was just there were so many guitars around and musicians coming and always playing on mm-hmm. them and then they'd put it down and then I'd go over and try and make it sound like they did and mm-hmm. and a lot of times I could you know uh, just 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 uh, I don't know how that came about I can't remember learning anything it's almost that way it's almost like I don't remember how I learned it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just did it so much that is there any, ever any, any time, like theoretically, that you're like, oh man, I wish I knew this, or have you have you already learned that stuff over time, not having maybe formal training as a yes. kid? I'll tell you when it happened in high school. Uh, when I when I got to high school, uh, there was this uh, I could sign up for a music theory class. Yeah, I didn't even know what the hell that meant. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a really I had a really great teacher. His name was Kenneth Brenneman. Mm. He passed away a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and and I signed up for this music theory course, and uh, I was one of three students in the class. So it was such a small class, and and I think I don't even remember who else was in the class. So so I don't want to offend them if they're listening. But but I it 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 instantly became about me and that teacher. I didn't notice anybody else. I was so fascinated. Sure. Because my ability on the instrument at this point, now I was into yeah. like really good guitar players that actually showboated or played, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I was like really into learning technique and, and, right. and, and getting, it was now, the 80s, you know. Yeah, People sure. were playing like right, 100 right. miles an hour. So, um, 
So now my abilities on the instrument were way more advanced than my knowledge. Yeah. So he was now teaching me all these things that I was already doing, but now I knew why I was doing and why they worked. Right, right, right. You know, and I had to, I took that class for two years and he, he, without, there's a lot of language that gets used every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the studio, that because of doing that, yeah, I can interpret what somebody's saying when they're speaking. And that's music. amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, it was that's something cool. I wasn't going to learn at home because everybody just kind of went, "Well, that's a D chord. Why is that a D chord? Because it's a D chord." <laughs> <laughs> and the next one's a G chord. Play the G chord. Okay, there you go. D G. What else? D G. What else? Grab me another beer, boy. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. I mean, it was like. Yeah, you know, I was learning it all yeah. from the gut at home, and then in high school, I was finally learning. Right, right. What, you know, and then you worked around Columbus. Yeah, a bit before yeah. before Nashville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what brought you to Nashville? Uh, you know, uh, I felt I was in so many bands in Columbus, and 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 you you know all the clubs that were up there, and all the musicians we all know. Yeah. Great musicians. Great. It's a it's an unsung uh, music scene. There's a really yeah. great music great scene there, musicians. and um, and uh, you know, they were all so good to me and really nice and uh, taught me different things on and off stage, whatever. But I also knew at some point that I needed to get somewhere where there was an actual music industry. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I felt like I played all those clubs so much, mm-hmm. and I I, 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 I was looking at guys that were in their forties at the time, and I was mm-hmm. going, I don't, I, nothing wrong with this, right, right. But I, but I want to go. I want to play. I yeah. want to play music that might be on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't thinking I wanted to do sessions. I just wanted to go somewhere. Right, right. And I knew... And here's the thing about that, if I could interject just for a second, yeah. about, you know, because I, I owe so much to so many musicians in Columbus. Yeah, I do too. Uh, to the experience that, that they, uh, and the lessons that I learned. When you talk about, I want to go someplace where I, there's music, that I can create music that will be on the radio, that's not to say that what they were creating didn't deserve to be on the radio. No, it didn't. It just it, it, it's it, just there was not, nobody up there right. that could put it in. in There's on just the radio. so many places around the country where the talent is insane. Yeah, and um, and there's people being creative, and there's so many. There's a myriad of reasons why not everybody lives in New York, or not every musician yes. lives in Nashville. Yes. There's so many things about it, but it's like. So, yeah, yeah, you know, to, to, we're so far away from the fact that, like, now with all technology, all the technology and YouTube and yeah. blah, blah, somebody can literally become famous from their bedroom now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way, but but, but in 1995, but in 1995, the internet was not really a. Put your tape decks on the, record. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, I I needed to get somewhere, and 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 you know. Um, I just I had a couple buddies of ours that moved down mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Chris Graffinino moved down here. Mm-hmm. Eric Fritch moved down here. Mm-hmm. And within the next year, I moved down here yeah. um, because I started coming down and checking it out. And I had a, another friend of mine uh, whose dad was the manager of McGuffey Lane, mm-hmm. who moved down here when he was fifteen. They 
when he stopped managing my dad's band, he moved down here and got an A and R job at Sony Records, oh, wow. and okay. and so I, I, you know, I I had that lifeline. I had somebody that I could come down, and they would take me around to like. This is this is what you need to see when you come down this week. Like awesome. the first the first time I came to Nashville, I rolled into town and saw Keith Urban showcasing at Twelfth and Porter. Jeez, you know before he was signed or any of that, mm -hmm. and 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 that was a great thing to see because you know here was this dude playing his ass oh, off yeah, great that nobody player. knew. Yeah, and his band was smoking. It was. Jerry Flowers was in the band. Mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. It was the guy, I think it was called the Ranch. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was just like I, I walk my my first ten minutes, and I pulled up to Twelfth and Porter <laughs> ten minutes before that show, my first time in Nashville, mm -hmm. and I walked into that show. And then later, he took me to the Bluebird to see Mike Henderson play, which is a totally drastically different thing. Mm -hmm. And it was blues, which was what I was really into mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. So it was like, oh, Nashville has that to offer too. It's yeah. not just country music. There's yeah. there's all yeah. this, yeah. and I was instantly in love with all the music things that were going on at that time right right you know steve earl's label was going oh right, uh, right. the albums that drew me into nashville were sonny landreth outward bound steve earl i feel all right mm -hmm. billy joe shaver mm. i'm trying to remember the name of that record right now uh oh man yeah, i mean yeah, there yeah. was an exciting beginning of americana kind of coming uh -huh. into play right and you could go out and see these people playing at songwriter rounds or whatever I just instantly knew I was in a place where opportunity mm -hmm. to make a living as a musician and and not playing a top 40 gig to to make money, you mm -hmm. know, right. and playing 4-hour club gigs all the time, you know. Yeah. I just knew that I needed to be here. That's that why. Playing with any hero that you have right. is always a pleasure, yeah. you know. And getting that booking and looking that on coming up on your calendar—it's always an uplifting thing. Okay. Now, um, but the other part about that is the producer Tom Hambridge. Uh, I've been working with a lot up to that point, and mm -hmm. he finally called me for a Buddy Guy record, and he's he's been producing Buddy for the last few years. I was just as proud to be playing on a record that he was producing because he's my friend and I watched him work so hard to get to this point to be producing oh, Buddy yeah, Guy. Yeah. So so there was a lot of really good things about it. Yeah. Now, now getting to Buddy Guy, uh, the guy's in his 70s and I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he plays on those. He's full of fire. That guy plays his ass clean off wow. all day long and then he goes in the in the vocal booth and i've watched him cut a vocal yeah to a song that he doesn't really know yeah and 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 he's, he's been at it so long he yeah. knows exactly what he's gonna do even if he doesn't know the song and has never heard the song it's uncanny i don't i don't understand how it happens yeah because he's just magic okay mm -hmm. and uh and you know, but the coolest thing about playing with Buddy Guy that I that I had the coolest experience I had was there were a lot of people stopping by the studio to kind of germ him. Yeah, a lot of people in town that wanted to meet Buddy Guy, get a picture with him, and post it up on Facebook and stuff. And a lot of those people just kind of know that he's important and maybe don't really even know his music. That happens a lot in this sure, business, sure, you know. Sure. Well, he 
at the end of this, the, fir- the first record that I made with him, uh, the end of the first or second day, I kind of went into lounge, this other auxiliary lounge in this studio. We were at Blackbird. There's several places you can go to get, get lost. Yeah. <laughs> and and I just went in there to get a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. And, I was, and, and uh, he was sitting in there by himself. He kind of, I think, tried to... He was like, okay, I've met a... I'm tired of meeting people today. I'm going to go find a quiet place. And I went in there, and I sat down. And I didn't even sit down. I was just getting a cup of coffee, and I sensed that he wanted some privacy or alone time. Right. And so I just kind of just said, hey, man, it's been great playing with you all day, you know. And, and uh, he just started telling me Muddy Water stories. Jeez. He starts talking about all these old chess sessions that he played on. You're like, hey, buddy, leave me alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so so I sat down and he talked to me for about an hour telling me about being on the road with Muddy Waters being in at chess records and playing on sessions with other other guys like Earl Hooker mm-hmm. or Hubert Sumlin or you know there was and, and and I started to see that there was actually a session scene at chess records hmm. people don't think about that mm-hmm. when they hear a Helen Wolf or Muddy Waters but if you read the credits it's a lot of the same guys playing yeah, on all okay. that stuff, and they showed up for work to play on a session, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he sat there and just told me a bunch of stories, and I sat there, and I think he kind of, I hope this is why, he. it seemed like all day long he kept throwing out references of certain players on, you know, oh, hey, this is kind of, this. we, get, we need to approach this like Fred Belo is on drums and... You know, Earl Hooker is playing rhythm guitar or something. And I knew who those people were. Yeah. So I think, I hope that he kind of clued into the fact that that I was not just a young kid playing on a record for some guy that I didn't really know who he was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew who he was. I knew what he'd done, and I knew all the people. He, so so he knew I had an interest, and, yeah. and he sat, and that was so great. And the next record, the first day that I walked in, I wasn't sure if he was going to remember me because there was a few years separated. Oh, right. And, you know, he's he's somebody that gets up in their 70s that meets people all the time at shows and tours. And, you know, you don't know. He, he, he I do that now. Yeah, so. right. I do, too. <laughs> but I walked in and he made me feel right at home. And he was like, man, I'm glad to see you. Oh. And, and, I, and, and it, you know... Uh, I was like, "Wow, buddy, God just said he's glad to see me. He does rem- he, he does remember." Yeah. Me. And we and we got right into playing music together and 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 made uh, you know, and I think I'm not sure I th- I know one of those records won a Grammy, if not both of them. I can't wow. remember. But. Do you remember the drummer on on Well, Wonder Tom Bo- Hambridge is the drummer and producer on those records. Okay. Okay. So he plays drums. Okay. He produces from the behind the drums, which is an interesting thing. I don't work with anybody else that does that. Your own band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fancy. I'm trying to remember the name. The Rob McNally Band? Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm shortening it to RMC. I'm just going to go to the initials. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I'm actually getting ready to come out with a new record. Okay. Um, uh, I'm actually going to put out three EPs over the next uh, year. Okay. Uh, I've I've already recorded everything, 
I think. Uh, I'm just going to be releasing EPs every few months. And, you know, it's the easiest way for me to do it as an independent artist. Like, if I put out a whole 12 song CD or a 10 song CD, yeah. it's that much longer before I can put something else out. So I figured, hey, why don't I split these in half and then I can release yeah. something every few months and sure. people don't have to invest a lot of time to listen to it, yeah. you know? Uh, so. And we've started playing once a month here in Nashville. Okay. We play every first Wednesday at the Family Wash over in East Nashville. Okay, okay. Uh, we have listeners all over the country and, yeah. and actually in Europe and, and, yeah. and, uh, else, and the world and elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, but uh, is there a website or a place? RobMcNelly.com. Okay. Uh, my last name is spelled M-C-N-E-L-L-E-Y. My mother gets it wrong. Jeez. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's hard it's to... It's not Rand McNally. It's yeah. Rob yeah. Well, and, and, and we'll have links uh, for sure that people okay. can go to. And, you know, Facebook, and, and I have yeah. a YouTube channel with some yeah. videos of me playing some Your MySpace songs. page is outdated. My, uh, well, it's because uh, I, I use the same password as LinkedIn, and I can't <laughs> remember what that is, and I can't get them to email me with it. So, um, Well, I, I just I wanted to make sure, uh, just, just for the sake of uh, making sure that people know where to find your music, but also... Uh, as a drummer to uh, make sure that uh, listeners that are drummers yeah. to go and listen to what you do because it's it's great, man. Oh, it, man. It, when well, you say you. it's about groove, it definitely is. It's thank fun, you. and I know that a lot of obsessed drummers will appreciate what you do and what you compose. Oh, cool. So, well, I hope so. Yeah, so That's, please yeah, go, go check it out. The links will be on yeah. our show notes that you can find from your phone or wherever yeah. you're checking this stuff out yeah but um i think my kids need to be tucked in i got gotcha. you and i okay. think i'll we go have covered, take care of that if that'd you be great because or, yeah I, so. I they call me because you're gonna Dad. go out and drink right <laughs> <laughs> i've already i've already started <laughs> hooters has awesome wings man <laughs> hooters does not have awesome wings depends on what hooters i, well, I, no, I, I, I don't swear know. to god <laughs> I've I've only been to Hooters like three or four times. First of all, those outfits don't look good on anybody, right. and the wings are not that great. And I'll I'm tell you sorry. one thing about Hooters: when I actually talked, <laughs> unless they're a sponsor of this into, show, <laughs> when I when I actually talked my wife into going at a Hooters after they picked me up from the airport with my young children on a Sunday afternoon, look, let's just actually I like these wings. Can we? You just want to get? She's like, sure, let's just go. I'm sure it's, yeah, it's no big yeah. deal. So Isaac's gonna love this. So my uh, eleven-year-old was about eight or nine. So we're sitting there, and uh, so we're like we're waiting for our food. And so uh, let's play I Spy. Okay. <laughs> so he goes first. I spy something bouncy. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It was the calendar behind oh, me. Yeah. The picture in the calendar behind me. So, of course, Liz was like, we're never coming here again. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. No. It was awesome. Uh, so, all that being said... You go tuck your kids in tonight. How about that. that? I will do that, man. I'll, I'll take the night off. Yeah. You. you... <laughs> Rob, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you Thank coming you. here, making the trip out to my pad. And, so uh, good to and see you. And having dinner and just... Yeah, man. Just 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 you know getting caught up and stuff like that and and uh sharing your story man yeah i appreciate it well thank you yeah thank you yeah thanks so there it is uh everybody uh a guitar player's perspective 
as you can tell, Rob and I have been friends for a really long time. I had the great honor of uh, doing a few gigs with Rob, and uh, he is an incredible player and really inspires the rhythm section from his playing. And I think if you get a chance to check his music out, which I strongly encourage you to do so, uh, you will understand why he is a, uh, a drummer's dream to work with. Uh, just a great feel, great pocket, and write some incredible, incredible music. Uh, to play behind. I uh, want to check in with Zach to find out uh, what's coming up next week. Hey man, how's it going? Great man, how are you? I'm good. Uh, checking in with you again, uh, seeing uh, who you've got lined up for next week. Uh, yeah, next week, um, I'm, I'm excited about this one because for a long time I've been wanting to get a, a Chicago drummer on the show. Um, and uh, next week uh, is my interview with Ed Breckenfeld. Uh, he's a, a born and bred Chicago guy, been there all his life. Um, you know, he's done recording and touring and, and uh, with all kinds of artists out of Chicago. Uh, and he's also the author of a, a long standing column in Modern Drummer called uh, Off the Record, uh, which was basically transcriptions of, of all kinds of you know, iconic uh, drum grooves and drum solos from, from rock and jazz and, and the pop world. His name um, sounds really so, familiar to me, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you flip through Modern Drummer, you've probably seen his name. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's cool. I, that's great. Chicago. We're, yeah, right there. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with Chicago, just as <laughs> as a city, you know. So we we had a cool conversation about uh, him growing up in Chicago and and what the music scene is like there, and and uh, yeah, it was it was great to hear about that city. That's cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it, and I'll I'll talk to you again soon. All right, man. See ya. There you go. Uh, once again, want to thank Mike Jackson for his technical assistance and making this podcast possible and making the website possible. As always, thanks for everyone's support. We really appreciate you listening and passing the word along about our podcast. So I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.